Hello and welcome to the Film Comet Podcast. I'm Violet Luca, Digital Editor. This week, we have a discussion about four recent films involving unusual approaches to traumatic history, followed by a special interview with Isabelle Huppert. First up, a history lesson about the films in this podcast. Our cover story for the March-April issue is an interview with Thai director Apichapong Wirasethakul about his new film Cemetery of Splendor, which centers on a woman who is treating soldiers suffering from a mysterious sleeping sickness. But the unspoken background of the story is Thailand's history of repressive military regimes, and the film includes visual details that many Western audiences may not recognize as overtly political. Mountains Made Apart, Zha Zhengke's latest film, tries to encapsulate the past and present of China's economic miracle, as well as the future. Three segments chart three different eras through two generations of a nouveau riche family. Amos Gitai's hybrid documentary Rabin, The Last Day, recounts the 1995 assassination of Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, which the director argues was a crucial turning point for the country. Finally, Laszlo Nemish's Academy Award-winning Son of Saul, the cover story from our November-December issue, immerses viewers in the horrors of Auschwitz from a unique and disturbing perspective of a Sonderkommando, yet makes no attempt to explain the whole. I was joined by New York Times and Film Comet contributor Jay Hoberman, the Nation critic Stuart Clowans, and Film Comet interim editor Nicholas Rapold to discuss the film's varying approaches, strengths, and blind spots. Hello and welcome to the Film Comet podcast. I'm Violet Luca, digital editor, and today I'm joined by... Nicholas Rapold, interim editor of Film Comment. Stuart Clowans, film critic of The Nation magazine. Uh, Jim Hoberman, freelance contributor to the New York Times Art Forum and uh, Film Comment. Great. Thank you guys for coming today. Um, so we're going to be discussing four different films that are pretty different, but they all deal with history or historical events in a certain way. Uh, Cemetery Splendor, a Pichapong, where Asethical's new film. Zhajan Ka's Mountains Made Apart, Lazlo Nemish's Son of Saul, and Amos Gitai's Rabin The Last Day. So how, how instructional would you say any of these films are? Because the way that they're approaching history, they're trying to impart or convey some aspect of this history, and they're using different formal strategies to achieve that. So how familiar with these events do you have to be to sort of understand or appreciate what they're doing? Well, I would say that uh, Amos Gatai's Rabin film is certainly the film that's the most, uh, has, has the greatest degree of pedagogical aspiration. Uh, I have some issues with that, but it's certainly there. I think that um, for Cemetery of Splendor, you really have to know quite a bit about the social reality in in Thailand. You're not going to get more than intimations of it from the from the film. And the other two, uh, I think it's helpful to know something. Also, I think that in Son of Soul, you have to. I, I feel that it's a movie that was misunderstood by a lot of people because they didn't understand the specific conditions that the filmmaker was addressing. What are those? Well, I think that. It's not just a film about an inmate in Auschwitz. It's a film about a Sonderkommando who has a very specific and uh, almost unique 
moral dilemma, which is uh, to prolong his own life at the uh, by making himself a tool of the uh, of the of, of the Nazis. It's 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 the most extreme form of slave labor, and it's just an existential situation that's really defies comprehension. And to me, the, you know, the, the greatness of this movie is that it 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 enables you to grasp that, or at least to grasp the um, uh, the condition. I think that also a lot of viewers didn't understand that there really was a Sandra Commando revolt at Auschwitz-Birkenau. As, as incredible as that is, because they were basically uh, revolting with their bare hands, but they did it. So I, I think that is also something that people didn't put into the calculation about their response to the film. Right, it wasn't just some kind of action climax that was tacked on. <laughs> but uh, I have a question about that, uh, Stuart. Maybe you can help me. To me, it seemed as though, my sense of the film was that basically Saul's a desire to give the uh, uh, the dead boy, who you know, I, I don't think is his son, but doesn't matter. A a burial. Who are we to say? That's right. Is is a is an absurd quest, and that the revolt is also in in some in some way absurd, and it's these two things that are going on simultaneously that that amplify each other. Right. There are these two impossibilities happening simultaneously and interlocking. And, and, and Saul actually having to choose between the two impossibilities on top of that. But notice how quick we, leave, we go to the Holocaust here. Yeah. <laughs> Going right for it. <laughs> and, and maybe that, to, to go back to your earlier question, Violet, it's maybe because um, the other films, if they're not instructional, to, to use your word, if you go to um, Cemetery of Splendor, uh, even if you know a lot about the context of Thailand, you're, you're still pretty much just in an IV drip throughout the movie. I mean, you're, you're, you're just in another world, and there's even a sense that, that the progression of events... Does, there is no progression of events. It's a completely cyclical non-time that, that this movie is happening in. So, so, yeah, we as Western people, we go right for the Holocaust... Uh, we we go for something that can be narrated. It you know it has a beginning. It has an end. We have a sense of the etiology of this horrible disorder. Uh, whereas, whereas ethical in in his movie, it's just it's part of the jungle, right? And well, it's it's part of dream time. Well, I mean yes and no because I I wrote this in the piece I did for the magazine, but I feel that plug 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 <laughs> available now. Um, I feel I feel like, or specifically throughout the film, there's this uh, crane digging these giant holes, and the way that looks looks exactly what the um, killing fields look like today. And when we think of genocide, we tend to think of the Holocaust, and we don't think of more recent as Westerners. We don't think of more recent examples of genocide. And I, you know, I I visited the killing fields this past summer, and it was a very Obviously, it was a very emotional experience, and it really sort of changed my perception of how I thought of genocide as a privileged, silly Western lady. Um, he he is definitely referencing in the film, even though it's not explicit. There's a lot of violence. You know, they're soldiers. Oh, tremendous they're, violence! Yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. 
So, so you think that it's it's about uh, Cambodia as much as it's about uh, Thailand? I think. I mean, it's about the entire region. It's about uh -huh. this uh, legacy of you know communism in that area of the world, and specifically where he's from in the northeast, Isan. That was the location of a lot of you know uh, fighting and sort of like the initial spread sort of happened there. And um, yeah, there's just there are lots of you know. Su suggestions and codes there, but it's it's present, and the degree to which you need to know that, I don't know because it it is there are certain points in the film that I feel like it's just Jen's dream. People say things that just make no sense, and it just hangs in the air, and no one no one does anything. So, yeah, I mean the the whole dream state idea for me was really interesting in this movie because. I, obviously, all his movies have that certain element of, of dreaming, and but in the past, it seemed like more of a playful thing or a, more of a possibility of peacefulness or, or eroticism in it. But in this case, it seemed more troubled to me somehow, and it seemed like it was a dream that, that you dream to escape something else more or to just remain in some suspended state so you don't really have to be in the real world. Where in the past, I don't, it didn't always feel that way with me about his films. Yeah. Well, I thought that here he was... It's a... It's a it's odd to say this because it's a very circumscribed film, but it seems to be a much larger canvas. I mean, going back into the, you know, I, I thought of it as excavating the, the past, and there seemed to be this overlay of paralysis, historical paralysis um, in, the, in the present moment, and then some other thing going on typically with the transmigration of souls and, you know, reincarnation that you see in his other, yeah. other movies. But I... That was the sense. That was the historical sense. Yeah. I I I got of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost more like a rendering of historical sensation than it is of, of an actual, you know, chronicle with you know <laughs> where you can say, oh, this happened, this this happened at this date, or this happened. This. I mean, you do have like those glorifying portraits of 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 the leader. You know, yes. Um, that that's a kind of if you know to look for that, you'll see that. Um, and then I also read somewhere that. Um, the whole eyes wide open thing is is a reference to like um, people who disagree with the regime, apparently, or could be interpreted as a reference. I don't want to get into anyone into any trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> could be interpreted as a reference to that. Um, but again, yeah, how how does that sort of thing function if you're not primed to kind of look for that? I don't know. Yeah. Well, what interests me is that in his previous films, I, I feel number one, you've had at least an implicit split of consciousness um, be between someone who, who is very interested in, in expressing and experiencing uh, a, a more, what, what shall I call it, a more mythic, indigenous, to, tough word to use, but let's, let's throw it out there, way of thinking about the world, and then Joe's more westernized view, you know, coming out of the Art Institute of Chicago, you know. So there's always been a certain implicit duality of perspective there. And also in his past films, he's tended to um, at least represent in some way uh, the metropolitan areas as well as, as yeah. the boondocks. And here it felt very much to me as if there is no metropole here. Right. There, there's no outside of the jungle. And more than in the previous films, it's, it's one perspective and to go to your point, Nick, it, it seems to me that, and, and yours, Jim, he, he's digging down into the past, but, but all the movement is, is temporal. 
it's all it's all vertical movement in 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 the time rather than any sense of spreading out in, in space uh, which would imply also a different perspective mentally it's so different in a way from the other um east asian movie that we're talking about which even though it has this incredibly cosmic title mountains made depart i mean <laughs> is extremely linear and yes. there's 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 no missing the progression here i mean it's it's there, there's there's very little that's allegorical no, in this, in is this torn movie from the headlines yeah yeah. yeah 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 and and it's almost like the linearity is is i mean speaking of violence earlier the linearity maybe is a sort of violence because it's this it's this march of progress, you know, that 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 people that we see people dealing with. Um, so I don't know, but I mean that that, that movie is also interesting to me because its its ambitions of its scope are, are I mean are so great. The idea of I'm going to tell something in three ages, you know, and it's somehow one that hasn't happened yet. One that hasn't even <laughs> happened yet. So um, that's that's also interesting to me how how a filmmaker will decide to cover that much ground, you know. And, and, Usually, if it happens in the U.S., one of the stops has to be the '60s, right? And, <laughs> and Magic Carpet Ride will have to be played at some point. Yeah. You know. So I think he, I think he already did it in the world. Oh, that's in, in in the world yeah. by superimposing this this uh, Western or whatever cosmopolitan dreamland on the uh, uh, the lives of the uh, the workers in the park. That's that's definitely true, yeah. And and this kind of movie also makes me want to revisit other past movies of his and, and think about them. Like Twenty Four City, I kind of want to watch again and think about that again. You know, that's another one where where you do have an imposition of 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 a Western model on mm -hmm. on people's lives. This vast housing development is is coming in and just wiping everything away. So and to the delight of some of the people who are there, but you know it, it's the same sort of thing. As far as the future part of Mountains May Depart, um, yeah, it's a future that hasn't happened yet, except in the movies, right. because the future in all movies is all is always like that. It's always happened like that. So you know we've we've been to that future. Yeah. Well, it's interesting yeah. I f because it because it, it it's not terribly different from how we live now. Like he's not trying to do, cause I feel like part of the linearity of the film and that's what a lot of people have problems with is that it really, it's so explicit. Like it's really hitting you over the head with what he feels is bad and what is being lost to the point where there are parts of the future that don't make any sense logically. Like he just, he's just like, I don't care. This is just gonna be this, absurd melodrama where this guy has like a weird Oedipus complex with this his Chinese teacher. Like it's so, I mean, I I had problems with it. I, I didn't buy it, but. Oh, I, I thought I was the only person who had problems with it. So I, <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, that, uh, three? His teacher is a movie star. <laughs> Isn't his teacher a movie star? Sylvia Chang, isn't was yeah. she? Yeah, yeah. No, so, she's, I mean, yeah. she's not just a teacher. She's she carries a whole other thing into the. Yeah, it's talking a, about codes. Yes, it's a melodrama about the the recovery of traditional values. Mm -hmm. And when I hear traditional values, the hairs stand up on the back of my neck. So mm -hmm. I, I get very nervous about that. Yeah. <laughs> See, and for me, in the twenty four twenty four city. Oh, sorry, sorry twenty four yeah. city. Uh, and this may have something to do with my own biases, you know. Uh, I understood <clears throat> much more clearly what was being lost by the by the transformation, and um, you know it, it had to do with the, with 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 the, with the lives of the workers, and you know a certain kind of solidarity, and 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 so on. But here, I really 
I, I didn't get it. I don't understand why she can do that happy dance by herself <laughs> at the end of the movie. You know, like she's living in a, in, you know, like what would be a pretty nice, I mean, like the equivalent of a gated community. You know, and I, I don't know if it's, I guess she has another dog. I don't think it's the same. But it's magic. It's, again, be. it's like this melodrama. It's magic. Yeah. It's but, the same but dog. But what is, but what is, I, I don't, I, I don't get it. I mean, yeah. you know, was it, you know, that, that she stayed in, in China and got rich in her own way and was a nicer person? I mean, yeah, I, I, I didn't quite, I, I didn't quite get the, the ending entirely. I wasn't totally on board with the ending. I think I, I ended up rationalizing what was weird about the third part somehow, and I thought, well, it's the future. Things are going to be a bit strange in the future. <laughs> Maybe, for all I know, that romantic like conventions will be different, and, and all this is okay, and people will forget things faster. What, I don't know. what was that Criswell thing about the future? From we're all interested in because that's we're all we're we're all going to live. That's right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> No, well, the, the thing about this movie for me is that the, the Zsa Zhanke in the past, he's used a popular performance as, as, as one of his structures. I mean, he did that with the platform. He did that with the world. He's used, um, he's used neorealist documentation the way he did with 24 City. He's used thrillers and, and martial arts movies, which he did in Touch of, of, of Sin, which, which to me is a fantastic movie. Here he's using melodrama, and the melodrama to me just doesn't make it. He's also using these different formats of films to, to sort of represent that. And the most, I mean, the most exciting part of the film to me is the, the, the first section where it's just like this crazy, crappy video stuff going on. But um, maybe we could return to Son of Saul for a minute because uh, there. The we'll always go back to the Holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> we'll always have the Holocaust. Well, that's true. So part of what makes this film unique is, you know, the camera work and how, you know, a lot of things are sort of obscured in the background, but also. Um, he referenced these extremely, well, I mean, this, this, again, this, this story is very strange, but the photos, the only photos that were taken inside of Auschwitz, I guess you can weigh in on how, you, how successful or unsuccessful you feel that Nemish's approach visually is. Because it got, you know, it got the Claude Lonsman bump. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that was that seemed to be one of the things that I, I felt was misunderstood about the movie. Um, I mean, the criticism that it it's, leaves out, you know, the, the whole view of the Holocaust. It's like that's not a bug; that's a feature. <laughs> I'm sorry to use that, but it's like <laughs> no, you're not. Like that's that's what he was trying to do. He's trying to give you this really constrained view, and it's it's not an accident that it's it's not going to give you a kind of comprehensive, you know, account or is going to gloss what you see necessarily, um, and. I, and immediately, I, I feel people took it a little unfairly as as a filmmaker showing himself off and showing his technique off, which is such an old chestnut of a criticism anyway to, to do for any movie. Or that's creating a video game, some or, people or, or, say. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I heard too, which, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, definitely he had a strategy. I mean, I, I don't think that's a, you know, a problem. I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mao's has a strategy too. I mean, I think yeah. that you... you and it was criticized for that, too. Yeah. An artist has to figure out some way to approach this material. And I always took, like, the, the Adorno quote, which is thrown around all the time, that, that poetry after Auschwitz must be barbaric, which I 
took it to mean you have to figure out another, if you're going to deal with this, you have to figure out some new and shocking way to deal with it. It can't just be, you know, assimilated into, into conventional modes. And so I think that the Nemesh came up with a, a, a very effective strategy, and also so, so did the, the actor. I mean, they, they, I, I can't. It's hard to imagine this movie being done with somebody with somebody else. This guy is 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 so locked into it, which is, you know, it it, it makes sense that he would have to be shut. I mean, you know, yeah. to be so focused. Yeah. On the, on what he was doing. No, he's yeah. almost like this moving statue. I'm almost yeah. like he's barely animate anymore. Yeah, he's the apotheosis of the Brisson model, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, but he, in, he is. But in, in, a, in a far more impossible situation. In a far more impossible situation. <laughs> yeah. right. You know, what? one thing that strikes me about it, um, it, it, with all of these films, we're all talking about history, We're ta- so we're talking about time. We're also talking about cinematic time. The, these four films all have very different approaches to cinematic time. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that with Son of Saul, it, it's not just that Nemesh is trying to represent the unrepresentable, or, or rather, actually, what he's doing is he's avoiding representing the unrepresentable. But at the same time, he's making you un- endure the unendurable. Because the way the cinematic time works for him is you're stuck in there with this guy, and, and it's unendurable, mm-hmm. but there you are. And it's very crafty the way he does it, because he does have a, 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 a ticking clock narrative at the same time. Right. <laughs> you know, so he works yeah. that in, but, but, but that's it. Yeah. He got ideas from the Dordans, also about how to, like, you know, propel a narrative in 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 such a way you know and, and to focus on a thing i mean i kept thinking of, yeah. of rosetta i mean which you know was a movie that also if you remember when it came out i mean a lot of people really hated it yeah and, and yeah they yeah. couldn't believe that the actress won an award for that's it right. too yeah. Yeah. yeah that's part of it yeah. I, I think he gets that from the dardenne i think yeah. he get, got a lot of that from bela tar yeah. Uh, you know, especially the materiality of the yes. film is very important. Yeah, and the you know, ambition too, to yeah. be able to do this. I mean, right. Yeah. Or a debut feature, it's just yeah. kind of <laughs> swinging for the stands. And yeah. yeah, yeah. But I do feel there's an integrity there. You know, that that to me comes very much out of Belatar. Yeah. Which brings us to Amos Gatai. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I think that that uh, I, I'm going to defend him up to a point. Well, I know you were you were you were much you were much kinder to the to the film than, than I, I found the film very difficult because on the one hand, you know, I, I don't have a problem with his politics on the, on, on the contrary. Yeah. But there was something, I found this too personal in a way, like he was working out his own anger and, and, and frustration rather than, you know, either being a good journalist and, you know, trying to like... T- you know, uh, get to the bottom of this, or just like, then you know, then 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 make a crazy movie about these lunatics who were, you know, this 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 the situation. I, I felt that yeah. he that he didn't have the discipline really for this for this material, and you know, I responded to that very emotionally. It made me really angry, but I know that you were able to be more objective or sympathetic. Um, I was willing to give him a break, even given the the evident problems of the film. 
because it's a film that claims to be based on documentation. That's another thing that we could talk about is the different attitudes yeah. toward documents yes. in all of these films. You mentioned the photographs in, in Son of Saul, which, you know, the, the only documents. Here there's a ton of documentation and, and Gita is playing with that. But, you know, playing fairly is a different question because it's supposed to be based on documents. He, he pretty much boasts in the film and when he talks about the film about the documentation. And then he has scenes there where you know they're completely bogus. Yeah. You know, he steps <laughs> just completely outside of it. Um, and I, I'm not talking about the, the scene with the psychologist ranting, which is, you know, a particularly egregious case dramatically. <laughs> but <laughs> Although he says that, the, you know, without telling you the story, I mean, he, yeah. he says that, that he, that's, it's all, you know, footnoted, except there are no footnotes. Except there are no yeah. footnotes. Well, <laughs> he, 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 he's praised the actors for their subtlety and restraint, yes. but the only thing I could say is you have to take the norms of Israeli behavior into consideration. <laughs> <laughs> they don't actually tear out their hair and bang the foreheads on the furniture in this movie, so you know, so they stop short of that. It's restrained. But uh, No, but the, the, the part I'm thinking of is, is when the counselors to the commission make a case that they should be investigating the the settlers movement and here you have a scene that that goes on for quite a while it, it's clearly just political grandstanding by Gitai. you know th this is if such a thing ever played out with this commission it wouldn't have played out like that and you have not very good actors frankly uh very stiffly making making these grand statements to the camera so so I'm with you. I don't go all the way with it. Yeah. See, but but in his rather tough, rough-hewn way, I think that he's pursuing a sort of investigative, quasi-documentary cinema that I do respect, and and I'm willing to go with it for that. And he can be actually very deft when he wants to be. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the way he takes actualities footage and he moves into stuff that he filmed himself he can be very smooth about that when he feels like being smooth yeah you know it's not a movie that uh, I was you know I was I was watching it I was engaged with you know I, I the material is extremely engaging let's say but the um, the unstaged stuff the documentary stuff I mean that that you know nighttime rally with you know the what is it blood and sm I mean where they're like chanting you know with uh, Netanyahu like going through this whole demagogy I mean that, that was that was you know a lot scarier to me than you know these people who we refer to as like delusional rabbis with their spells you know you know in this closed room it looked like something out of the to me like the protocols of the elders of Zion you know? I mean I, I you know I mean, they're having a Yuda, yeah I know right. I mean, what, what, what is this yeah, yeah but you know the the uh, but the other thing when you see politicians you know uh, creating this climate I mean that that was much more powerful and I absolutely wish that it had, like that he had stuck with that you know you know, right, I mean, right, and I mean that 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 kind of footage from the moment was also powerful for me. I, I don't have as deep an understanding of the, of the politics, but just in the terms of this movie being about an assassination, I feel like movies about assassinations are often not very good because they they just rely upon the event. But in this case, having actual like documentary footage, you know, just before the event, somehow um, it gave it a, a materiality, I guess, in a different sense to, to, that that made it even 
you, I don't know, you were, you were primed to feel the trauma even more somehow. If I understand it, his, his point is that it's a, that there was a climate that was created, that if it wasn't this guy, it would have been somebody else. And in fact, there was like this amazing bit of business where it, there's, there's documentary footage of Rabin walking from one place to another, and some guy just jumps out of the crowd, you know, and, he, and is about to, like, uh, hit him or, or do something, and, the, and the, the guards beat him off. So there was, I think that he wasn't necessarily focused on the, uh, on, on the individual, but in the end it came, it sort of came back to that. He didn't stick to, like, the, the fact that this climate was being created. And, you know, it's funny because that it made me think of, and not in a good way, of, um, you know, of Oliver Stone, of, of JFK, because without going into, like, the minutiae of the, of the, you know, like, the conspiracy and so on, there was, you know, if you, if you know anything about it, you know, there was all this crazy stuff going on in Dallas that week that had nothing to do with Lee Harvey Oswald. It was just, like, this collective craziness. Yeah. And I thought that that's an interesting analogy, you know, how, like, you know, people can pick up on, you know, all kinds of signals and act on them. I mean, you know, the, the, the madness of crowds and, and, and so on. Right. See, I, I felt that the, the point of the film that was, was that given the climate, the investigation was constrained, that a real investigation was never carried out. Yeah. Uh, now, that's also a questionable point. There, are, I think that there are Israelis who might challenge that. Yeah. But to be fair to Gitai, and I would like to try to be fair to him, that I think that's where he was going with it. That, that limits were placed on what could be asked. And 20, 30 years later, 30 years later. Um, 20. 20? I thought it was 95. 95, you're right, 20. Yeah. Seems like. No. Yeah, but I'm, I, I'm already in the future of Mountains May Depart. Oh, yeah, that's so, right. So, you know, I'm visiting you from there. The one. <laughs> yeah. That, 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 that Israeli society and is still suffering from, from having closed down and, and not yeah. investigated and yeah. not thought about it. So I, to me, that was the point of the yeah. film. Well, you know, maybe he was, he was too ambitious because I found the text of the, uh, the investigation, that committee, to be, to be fascinating. Mm -hmm. But then I wish that he had just like, just give us the text. I mean, and, and, and you would else? like him to do one thing or, or another other, thing, yes, but exactly. not to think but that he, he didn't could make mix this them for up. you. Clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't if know. he didn't make it for Jim, I don't know who he's making it for. Yeah, come on. <laughs> well, he made it for himself, I think, to like maybe he made it to yeah. vent. Yeah. 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 Well, can we talk more about um, these sorts of documents? Because in uh, Cemetery of Splendor, one of the I, what I would consider a document, uh, and it's sort of interesting, is that they go to this sculpture park which is, it's, it, he sort of uh, fibs the geography a bit. And it's, there are these sculptures from this place called Salakyoku Temple. And it was this sculpture park made by this uh, guy who was, it's not a, he was not a monk, but he was just extremely devoted. And he was originally from Laos and he came over because uh, he was chased out by the communists actually. And then um, he made it, he made all of these sculptures that are sort of, you know, a blend of Hinduism, Buddhism, animism, and then just sort of like secular, sort of using secular art styles. And they're, they're in the film in this very specific part where Jen is being taken through the imaginary, what is supposed to be the, um, the invisible temple uh, that the, the soldiers are defending. And so it's this, it, for me, I think that scene is really crucial because it's, it's this, you know, this real piece of history. 
and then this imaginary thing that no one can see. What would you qualify as like document versus, you know, things you have to fill in yourself or? They're also, I mean, in the walk in the end, I mean, they're also those slogans that you see. Yes, um, yes. Which apparently are just, I guess. Everywhere. He, everywhere. Yeah. He just wants to put them in that you, so that you realize that these kind of like political, what would the words be? They're like these almost saying, sayings in a way or something. Well, they're like memes. They're like yeah. bad Facebook patriotic yeah, Facebook right. memes, yeah. but they're yeah. <laughs> hanging up or, in real life. Yeah, are just, are just part of the, the, the landscape and are yeah. part of your daily experience in some way. Yeah. Um, so there there are those that, that, that kind of get the sense of the landscape. But then there are also these these details that you, you, you blink and you miss them as well, which in terms of documents. Like if I remember correctly, there's like a you see a, a notebook at some point with some writing on yes. it. Yes. Um, but when when I saw it, it, I don't know if it's changed, but it wasn't subtitled or anything. It's not like you knew what the notebook said. Well, there were parts of it that were. Oh, there were. Yeah. Oh, just but just bits of it though. I feel. Yeah, like. I it know. was yeah. like really because they're getting this. Uh, I don't know. We're just really getting into minutiae here, but they were talking. But it's important with this. Uh, they were getting. They were at this like uh, uh, being instructed on meditation. And uh, the, so some of what the teacher is talking about is getting subtitled. And then she's, Jen is like flipping through this notebook of a prisoner. A prisoner, right, yes. yeah. But, so, but again, yeah, you wouldn't know it's of a prisoner's notebook. I yeah. No, I kind of thought that the, 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 the part on the instruction on meditation was actually directed at the audience. But I think that my, <laughs> you know, uh, listening to you talk, I really want to see it again. I mean, I feel like my take on the movie was kind of superficial. I mean, I just saw it. And I loved it. It put me in this trance. I mean, I was, you know, I found the whole thing very interesting and very soothing in a, in a, in a way. And I don't know if that's a problematic response to it, but... Um, it's anyway. okay. You're a foreigner. It's, you don't get it. Yeah. yeah. But, I, but I would like to... Uh, uh, which is, be, she says in the film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would like to go deeper into it, which is also what it seems to be about. For me, I, I think I had that sensation too watching it, and then pretty soon afterwards, immediately I, I did an in interview with him. So then, it, like it was still fresh yeah. in my mind, and all that stuff got kind of filled in. But I still kind of wonder, you know, you know, what if I hadn't, been, what if you hadn't explained it to me? You know, it's like it's the problem with not reviewing. You know what I mean? I saw it, but I didn't review it, so I, <laughs> I right. saw it as a sort of a civilian. You know, right. I, I wasn't compelled to like <laughs> to think it through. Right. You know? <laughs> Do you feel like those sorts of documents exist in Mountains Made Apart? Or if they do, are they effective? Or or is that even a concern to him? Well, he's, I mean, with his movies, they're, he draws upon sources a lot. Mm -hmm. But you would again, you wouldn't necessarily know it. But like, I mean, A Touch of Sin, uh, there is a suicide that's a reference to an actual event. And then, so there are things like that where he's drawing on what are, current events or like news stories i think right. in several of the stories in yeah. touch of sin were were yeah. right. you know documented uh, episodes of, of outbursts of violence in yeah. different yeah. parts of china but yeah. but here it seems to be i mean they seem to be these these pop cultural texts that were thrown in i mean the the, the one that that i could sort of see was the presence of sylvia chang this this hong kong actress who had been, was a star you know uh, i guess in the in the 80s Maybe, uh, 90s. or 90s. Well, she also, she wrote, most recently, she wrote Office, or she co-wrote, no? Mm -hmm. Oh, right, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that song, that, that bit of canto pop, which, you know, which I, I wouldn't know. I mean, to me, it was just like this corny song. But I know that it has a, has a, has a much greater significance in the movie. I just don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. But what about Go West? 
Oh, go west. Right? Yes, the other great pop the, song. Yes, in the okay. Yes, go west. <laughs> yes. Well, that seemed to be, you know, like a, you know, ironic. I could, I could see that. But it's also but, real. Like it's like yeah. that's what's so. That's I mean, that's what makes me want to like see Mountains Made Apart again because it is like it's totally ridiculous and corny. It's like well, why? It's like a very pure form of irony. Mm-hmm. But it's also they take it to heart. Like well, they actually go like, east if they're going to Australia, but that's oh wow, uh, <laughs> south yeah, south true. by southeast. There, this is east. <laughs> this is the concept of the west. Yes, I know. <laughs> right. Occidental versus Oriental, yeah. but anyway. Well, we, we we had an interview with him where he actually more or less does a mini exegesis of Go West. Yes, which is kind of great. So he yeah he he was clearly reading something into in addition to remembering it as a kind of party anthem. Right. But, exactly. <laughs> Uh, like I said, a very pure form of irony. But unfortunately, we're almost out of time. So I'm going to uh, go around. I'm going to close, as we always do, by asking each one of you to name one film that you saw recently that you liked. And I'll go first so you have time to think of one. <laughs> um, I saw uh, This week I saw Nakom, which is a Ghanaian film that's going to be shown in New Directors. And it's uh, it's really interesting because actually it's sort of deals with a similar narrative that uh, Mountains Made Apart does in that um, it's about a medical student who's uh, a, a kid from a, uh, a very rural part of Ghana who becomes a medical student and then he's called back home after his father died and he has to help out with the crops and he has to help out with his you know, father's family which has uh, two mothers and all the kids and sort of like try and whip into shape and get everything, get, you know, get his father's house in order between the time that he dies and the funeral, which is, I can't, it's, the time is sort of interesting in this. So it's hard to tell if it's like a year or just several months. But anyway, it, it really, it's a very interesting take on what it means to go home and what sort of dilemmas that people face. And it, it, there are parts of it that seem very traditional or sort of like, not not formally interesting and then it'll just do something that'll knock your socks off so i highly recommend it i'm going to name two things quickly one is chloe Zhao's songs my brothers taught me um which is a quasi neorealist quasi documentary impressionistic drama set on the pine ridge reservation in the dakotas which I liked very much, but the other one, I, which I something I really loved, which I caught up with only two days ago, and it's been out since 2013. I didn't know it existed. It's a short film that was made for the 2013 White House Correspondents' Dinner. Did you know it's called Spielberg's Obama? <laughs> Google Spielberg's Obama. It is. I, I don't want to give away too much of it. It's. 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 Spielberg thinking what he's going to do after Lincoln and deciding he's going to make a movie about Obama, but who can he possibly cast? I know Daniel Day-Lewis, because he becomes the character. (laughs) And then you have Barack Obama as Daniel Day-Lewis method actor rehearsing being Barack Obama. (laughs) Barack Obama pretending to be Daniel Day-Lewis, pretending to be Barack Obama, so that unspeakable truths can be said, which they are in this. It's, it's fantastic. It's almost Shakespearean. Wow. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I look at a lot of stuff on disc these days for my day job. And um, I recently uh, revisited Death by Hanging. Uh, and in connection with that, a movie which I had never seen before that I remember... I want to live, exclamation point. So 
thinking about these two uh, movies about uh, capital punishment and uh, Susan Hayward's performance. You know, of course, after the Oscars, she won an Oscar for that. So the, there, there's that. And then um, yesterday, I saw a movie in uh, New Directors. I'm not sure I can pronounce it. Um, Kylie Blues or Kaylee oh, Blues? Kylie Blues? I do not know. Well, and I, I, I don't have the name of the director in front of me. I don't oh, know. That I know. It's Be Gone, which someone pointed out to me sounds like Be Gone. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the first film or not. And also is, is someone that takes place over a period of years. It was not easy to follow. I'd have to see it again. But I thought the filmmaking was terrific. It was a very energizing movie. So I, I, I recommend it, and I myself would like to see that one again. Well, thank you all for coming. Thank you so much. Yeah. A pleasure. Thank you, yes. And now, Isabelle Huppert. Ms. Huppert was in New York for Guillaume Niclou's César Award-winning film, Valley of Love, which opened the 2016 edition of Rendezvous with French Cinema. In Valley of Love, Huppert is reunited with Gérard Depardieu, their first film together since Maurice Pialat's Lulu. The pair played two long-divorced, famous French actors named Isabelle and Gerard, who, while on vacation in Death Valley, received strange letters from their recently deceased son. Film comment contributor and filmmaker Yonja Talou interviewed Mizu Pair about her new role, as well as her various collaborations with the giants of French cinema, such as Chabrol and Piala. I wanted to start by briefly discussing Guillaume Niclou's Valley of Love, because you're in New York to present it. In Valley of Love, as in his previous film, The Kidnapping of Michel Houellebecq, Guillaume Niclou is interested in blurring the lines between reality and fiction. You and Gérard Depardieu play fictional versions of yourselves, two renowned actors who have the same names as you, and whose relationship actually seems to go back to, seems to have its roots in Maurice Pialat's 1980 Lulu, in which you also start together. Did you approach this role in a different and more personal way because of its autobiographical aspects? No, not at all. I, I, I try to approach my roles in, in the same dimensions all the time, strangely enough. Uh, I really managed to make the roles you know, be as close as possible to me. I mean, of course, there are characters and there are fiction. You know, the interesting thing about that in the, in the film is that I realized a few months after the movie was over and even I think after the movie was out that it never says that I am Isabelle in the film. It's very strange. Only at the very end of the film, I call Gérard, Gérard. Maybe that's what makes people, you know, rewind the whole film uh, back since uh, the beginning of the film and think that because he's Gérard, they assume that I, I am Isabelle. But it's uh, it's an auto... Uh, almost um, mechanism. Mechanism, because it never says that I am Isabelle. It never says we. He um, said that we are actors, okay, but we could be actors in a completely fictional story, you know. People just be because we are together, or because something uh, has been said about the film before the movie was out. It was enough to create this illusion but it's an illusion because again it's not like he was saying Isabel from the very beginning and Gerard so we are so fictional characters yeah and they are fantasizing on, on almost on that you know uh, non-fictional relationship because it's it's a fictional relationship you know i mean we never had a, a child together with Gerard and uh, but there was well something maybe <laughs> yeah but maybe you know 
it's an imaginary uh, continuation or prolongation of our relationship in Lulu, and uh, but it's very strange because it never it it's not presented as a as a statement at the beginning of the film. Okay, no, it's strange. It's a uh, it's the power of cinema. You know, I'm going to do an, another film together with with um, Gérard. And we are a couple again, but it's a very, very different story. It's going to be directed by this uh, director I did Tip Top with. I don't know if you've seen Tip Top Boson. And um, it's a completely wild story. I'm, I'm playing a sort of a femin female Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's called Mrs. Hyde. And um, But, you know, in the case of um, um, of Guillaume's film, I, I don't know why uh, this weight of the past was so much in that film. Maybe because it's a story of a of a couple. Maybe because our uh, our couple in Lulu was already conflicted. Uh, it it was it evolves a lot already around love and conflicts and difficulty to um, to cope with this love. And again, it's you know y it's the same kind of uh, <coughs> implications in the couple. Although in the meantime, you know there was a child and the, chi the child died. Speaking of filmmakers who blur the lines between fiction and reality, obviously Piala comes to mind, but he operates much differently than Niklou. I remember reading in a Cahier du Cinéma interview with you from a while ago that on the set of Loulou, uh, Piala would sometimes roll the camera without letting you and Depardieu yeah. know that mm -hmm. he was mm -hmm. filming. This certainly accounts for both of your performances being so raw and uninhibited in that film. And I guess, you know, Piala was really one of those rare directors who put the camera at the service of the actors. Oh, that was extraordinary, really extraordinary. Actually, that's what, you know, you, you, you tend to most of the time when you do a film, you know, you want to blur, as you, you say, the, 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 the boundaries between fiction and reality. And you have to, to make things as real as possible and to make yourself as real as possible. But he did it in such a way, you know, that was it was a really... Yeah, I remember the camera would roll and we would be sitting in front of each other, Gérard and myself, and we would start talking and then the camera would start rolling and, and, and gradually we would get into the scene and uh, um, he, he was, you know, just trying to, to create these conditions to for us to be s as natural as possible. And that's the great... Um, but, you know, most of great directors know how to do that. The difficulty to do it is because when you make films, you have to go through um, the weight of conventions and the weight of rituals, and the ritual would be shoot and and uh, cut and you know. So he, he the codes, he, yeah, the codes, the codes. and so he like he tried in these moments to abolish the rituals to to abolish you know what this little thing that makes you think okay I'm gonna act. So because you say shooting rolling. I don't know, it creates a little mechanism in yourself that takes you away from yourself. So it, it tried in those moments to abolish this so that you were able to remain as you know close as possible to what you are. There's a quote by you that I find very intriguing, and I brought it up before in another interview. You say that acting on screen is very easy for you and something that you do intuitively, whereas acting on stage feels like climbing a mountain mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it requires much more preparation and, and effort. And I was wondering whether you felt the same way when you were starting out as a young actress in the 70s 
And, you know, you were working with giants like Preminger, like Tavernier, and then later on Chabrol, who placed high expectations on you. Yes, I always felt the same. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should be more, um, uh, I don't know, um, scared sometimes. I'm not I'm not saying that I'm, I'm proud of this, you know, but it's true to say that I never resent any difficulties doing uh, anything. On the other way, it doesn't mean that I don't doubt. It doesn't mean that I don't think that sometimes, well, I could do better. Sometimes I just watch, I look back, watch my work and say, woof. It's not much. Maybe it could be different. But I'm not sure that if I was scared, if we, if I would, you know, it would uh, solve anything and it would make me doing things differently, you know. So, you know, you can, on one way, be very sure of what you do and the other way, on, on the general scale, be a lot doubtful. I think it's my case, you know. But when I do it, yeah, it's never... I never resent the difficulty of it, as opposed to the theater, which I'm doing at this moment, and that's completely different, you know. Theater is a... It's so... I mean, at least the, the preparation, you know. Once you are... Once you do it, okay, there is nothing... That you, you do it, and you have to do it, and you are in the middle of it. But when you prepare it, it's... A, and that's the big difference, that in, 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 the, in when you do a movie, you don't, you don't, you don't have this... Um, you, you just do. It's a, for me, uh, yes, in a way, cinema is a... Uh, you don't prepare anything before. It happens when it happens, you know. In the theater, you have to... When, when it happens, it happens. But to make this happen and to make this present happen on stage, of course, you, you need to... You, you can't do a play like this. Say, I don't rehearse and I do. It's impossible. And it makes the... Maybe because I'm very lazy, I don't know. It makes the, the whole... The whole thing very, very demanding. Very, very demanding. But once you are in it, it's okay. But it's always difficult, you know. In cinema, I don't know. I think, I feel like in cinema, uh, everything is, um, you, you always find an answer to any difficulties by the staging, by the, di the uh, it's not by what the director would, would tell you verbally. It's how the director would um, set your, his story and, and, create the, the movement around your character it gives you the answer all the time you mean the physical life of the yeah, character the, the physical life and the movement and the way your character would relate uh, to the environment it's really a science you know the staging I think the actor feels that immediately Chabrol used to say when he, he said it as a almost as a joke you mm -hmm. know when we were doing films but I think it's a great statement about uh, movie making he said it's never difficult to find a good place for the camera because there is only one good place and i think it's quite right that to a certain situation a certain emotion a certain uh, psychological attitude only one camera's uh, movement um gives you a response to it response yeah. to it you know so i like that this idea i know you don't prepare for your roles per se but I'm really interested in knowing how you approached playing someone like Marie-Louise Giraud in Story of Women. I mean, obviously, this sort of, you know, dance between cruelty and tenderness is something that defines all your performances. But I think Marie really embodies this sort of duplicity of human nature that you try to address in all of your performances. I was wondering how you, how you collaborated with Chabrol 
on that film and if there was a preliminary process of constructing the character together, given that, you know, you, you also had to master certain historical and social realities that shaped Giraud's life? Well, in Chabrol, with, uh, more than with anyone else, you know, there was no discussions, no uh, preparation. I mean, we never, <coughs> we never really talked about, you know, what we were going to do. A, a bit like with, um, you know, Michael Anuke. Mm -hmm. I would say a bit like with uh, the majority of directors I work with. We nev never, but it was more uh, even striking with Coachable because, you know, the amount of, uh, um, of roles and the richness of all the roles I did with him was, you know, certainly in contradiction with, you know, the few conversations we had about it. And sometimes it would only say one thing about it and it would be enough. It's like a, a thread, you know, that you, you, you pull the thread and it's enough to... <laughs> to really, you know, uh, weave in the, <laughs> the web <laughs> around you, the web of the, of the character and the texture of the... And I, th I remember for Story of Woman, I, w I, was, I had questioned you know, about the, the act itself, you know, the abortion, because it was, you know, it's, it's like, it's a medical act. Of course, it's an act of resistance. When, when it comes to have to do it, you have to do it, you know. And it's, it's manual, and I don't... I'd and <laughs> he had this funny line, he said, imagine that you are a plumber. You know, it's like it's like doing uh, plumbing, <laughs> you know, which I thought was so funny, and and so concrete, and so you know, well it gives it a clinical yeah, quality. Yeah, and as it's well. a, you know you have when to you think about it that to, way. to to repair something and uh, and um, but of course I am not a plumber and uh, so I do it with you know what I'm uh, I don't know uh, you know <laughs> because to to say imagine it's like a plumber it means imagine it that it's very concrete and imagine that you do something that you don't know how to do it basically because I am not a plumber or maybe you could have told me imagine that you are a pilot in a plane you know so it, it, he gave the two dimension to those scenes you know which is um, A you um, you don't know how to do it plus B it's it's very concrete you know you do a series of gestures and that's all you know with no psychology no emotions you just do it you so know. you never discussed <laughs> psychology with him no, well, of course, I had read a book about her, and um, and, and uh, you know she's she, she was completely different from she was a much older woman than I was at the time I did the movie, and she was a completely different woman from me. So, uh, you know, you, you just took the story, you just took the the political and sociological context, and um, but we we didn't need to discuss for hours, you know, to understand the situations, to understand s what was very clear in the script was the fact that she was not a very nice person. She cheats, she cheats on her husband. She's a, she's a, um, uh, she, she likes money. She, um, you know, she yeah, but she's emotionally very complex. It's she's not very complex. I think you don't she's think very so? no. She's very simple. She's very basic. She wants money. It's war. She has to survive. She wants to have a good time. She's completely cynical. She makes abortions. She could do something else. It's an act of resistance, but she doesn't do it as a resistance. And that's what's interesting about the film. She's not a heroine. She's just a very normal person, very basic, very cynical. But in the end, she dies of it because, yeah. without knowing it. She does an act of resistance. Without knowing it, she does something very political. And in the end, she dies from it. And it's much more interesting, of course, than where, uh, to, to, to portray her this way rather than to, e to, e uh, 
to portray a self-conscious person thinking, oh, I'm a heroine of resistance. No, she doesn't know. She doesn't even know what she's doing. But then when she's going to die, of course, she becomes more than an, an heroine because when you have to confront your own death, she becomes, you know, a saint. All of a sudden, her the the, the conscious the her awareness of the world becomes so accurate. She doesn't believe in religion. That's why the movie was so controversial because she insults the Virgin Mary. She um, she becomes in in her in her in her horrible destiny. She takes all the measure of the world in which she is. You know. So, but that was all written on the script. I mean, that was we we didn't need to discuss ours about it. Do you see the the women you played for Chabrol as extensions of each other, or actually, what I'm more interested in knowing is whether when you're taking on a new part, do you are you reminded of all the women you played? You know, do you think about all the women you played? Do they keep inhabiting you? Do they become ingrained in your being as soon as you've brought them to life? Or do you kind of have to leave them behind to move on and start afresh? Well, it's not that I have to leave them behind. It's more that they are behind, you know. And and, and I'm completely unaware of... I think it's a really... It's, it's a perception of the spectator, what you describe. In any case of the actor, you know. It's not like you were piling roles in yourself and uh, like there were layers of sensations from having um, um, giving uh, life to all these characters it's you know it's uh, it's not more than uh, the sea on the beach going back uh, to where it was you know it's it's completely volatile you know it doesn't remain it's it remains in people's mind like it remains in my mind when I, I mean, I know what it is to be a spectator because I am a spectator too, but it's so much different than being an actor, you know. I do it and it's gone. So you know? does it remain in your mind as a spectator too? Hardly. Of yourself yes, of maybe? <laughs> but not, so yeah. Yeah, as a spectator, let's say, of myself, of my films. Yes, at some point, that's where it takes place. But nowhere else, you know. It, uh, otherwise, I would be really... Um, uh, encombré, I don't know how to say that in English. Um, encumbered. Um, encumbered, that's think, an English yeah. word. Uh, you know, of all, you know, I have to be <laughs> or overwhelmed. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. You define yourself as an explorer and not an artist. And I not even, an, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't know how I define myself. Certainly not like an artist, you know. It yeah. always makes people laugh, you know, when people <laughs> say, we are artists. I mean, it's, uh, how can you define yourself as artists? It's ridiculous. I, I, I have sense of ridicule of uh, ridicule. I have, I think, and so many definitions of what you are. Of I think it's absolutely ridiculous. So <laughs> I have the sense so of you not refuse, being too. You refuse. Oh, action. I absolutely <laughs> refuse to be that ridicule. <laughs> what is your relationship to to other art forms? Could be literature, fine arts, music, and how would you say they inform your work as an actress? They don't. I they think. don't. No, I don't think so. I, they 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 f- they fulfill me as a person. They fulfill me as a in my relation to life, to uh, expressions. So, you know, I think it's really wonderful to be able to listen to music, to read books, to see exhibitions, everything. But I I don't think that at, at any step it influ- it influences. I always I keep thinking that it's a pure 
matter of imagination being an actress or being an actor or even you know for all those people doing what they do you know well maybe uh, a writer I think needs needs life because uh, you can take every situation as a potential situation of fiction you know so I'm, I'm I am influenced by people's attitudes by anything I see in the street by how people relate to each other I think it's the the whole stage of life is so funny most of the time you know how people behave socially how so that of course is an guess an uh, more or less uh, unconscious source of inspiration but to the transformation of that f- by whoever it is you know like you know painters or artists doesn't influence my work you know let's say if you see a a piece of contemporary art, it's completely different of what I do. I mean, I, I, I don't even understand how you can, you know, uh, make a bond between what you see and what what's going to fulfill you, what's going to feel fulfill your inspiration. And uh, what can what could f- could be an inspiration for me is more the um, what I'm going to try to say is a bit tricky, but it's more. Let's say uh, an artist gives you his vision of the world, you know, and to give you to give such a vision of the world, you n- you need to have distance, you know. You can't be in the in the vi- in the in the no no. You have to get a distance, and it's true also for writers, for a lot of people, you know. You have to, and it's the same for an actress, I think. That's you have to 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 keep a distance to what you do, you know. Of course, otherwise you can't give it. You can't give shape to it. That's why it's a. That's why you you can't relate to what you do in the same way as you relate to it as a spectator because you relate emotionally to what you do as a spectator. I relate emotionally to what I do, but in a different way. In 2005, MoMA held an exhibition of pictures of you taken by incredible photographers, including Cartier-Bresson and Nan Golden. And I was wondering what that collection means to you emotionally. I think it, you know, I'm trying to... Again, to s- remain modest to that <laughs> collection because otherwise, it's a bit. I think it it was in the interest of the collection was more about photographers themselves than about myself. You know, of course, it was me, and you could it think it's a, it's a human celebration celebration of a narcissism. And but in the end, what was interesting, you know, it was called the art of the uh, the faces of many women. You know, and it was interesting to see. Um, how the same person can be literally transformed and different uh, whether uh, you are photographed by such or such or such person uh, and also so it really um, put in light all the individuals of photographies and also all their uh, you know you had uh, humanist photographers you had fashion photographer and you could see how that same person could be different whether she was you know see by those humanists like Cartier-Bresson or Douaneau or, or by great fashion photographers like uh, Richard Avedon or Peter Lindbergh. And, and so in a way, it was interesting about the art of photography itself and about um, the specificity of each photographer's as an individual. Was it a sort of experiment for you in that No, time? because no? it was just by more by, by coincidence that it became an exhibition, you know. There was this retrospective of the films. We were... Uh, uh, with Serge Toubiana, you mm-hmm. know, the former 
head of uh, cinematography for me because he just left. Uh, we were together. We were thinking to to create a side event to it, you know, to make a. And then Ronald Shama and Jean Jean Fouché, the two commissaires de l'exposition, had this idea to put. Said, okay, it was more. It it, it became. It was more by. It happened almost by chance, you know. So they put the photographies together. Said. Okay, it could be, and then it became real, you know. But uh, we took all the photographies that uh, I made uh, along my life, you know, including because then the 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 exhibition it started in New York, then it went to Paris, then it travelled. It's going to travel again. I think next it's going to be to London in London in next June, and sometimes you know I do additional photos at the time, but it's um, so it keeps growing. Yeah, but what was nice about it? It's it it. At the end, it became like a, almost an exhibition is always a, a statement, or you know. But we didn't prepare anything for that exhibition. You know, we put all the photos together. We need to wrap up, but uh, maybe before we do, you could say a few words on Anika's new film mm -hmm. because you're reuniting. Well, with him very soon. very few words because it's. Uh, I, I can only tell you the title, which is Happy Ending. I know, which, I know the title. which makes the whole perspective very very. Um, uh, you know, uh, it creates a lot of. Curiosity, you know, happy ending with Michael Haneke. When, you know, you can imagine that it, it, um, it, it's certainly very ironic. Maybe <laughs> it, yeah, <laughs> maybe it's a happy beginning, but you know, we don't know. You've been listening to the Film Comet podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rapold, with music by Greg Anji. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine. Film Comment, at the heart of film culture for over 50 years.